Hey, what's good, fam? We appreciate you tuning in to the South City Church Podcast. It's our prayer that as you hear the better story of Jesus, you might experience more of his redemptive power in every square inch of your life. Hey, we're a church plant. We benefit greatly from outside support. So if you'd like to partner with our ministry here, you can go to southcityrva.com slash give and join us in seeing strangers made family in Christ in Richmond and beyond. God bless and shalom. I have to check with Brian before I walk up because uh, we'll get an explosion of feedback if I come up too fast and uh, it makes me want to scratch my earballs out. So anyways, good morning. Um, so if you would, please pull out your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. If you need a Bible, there are some under the pews. So while you're working on that, I uh, want to briefly discuss my favorite topic that uh, most people probably get tired of hearing me talk about, and it's jujitsu. And uh, so recently, I was training for a jiu-jitsu tournament uh, about a month ago, and uh, I was supposed to compete yesterday. I was super excited to see how far my jiu-jitsu has come by putting myself up against other competitors, really pushing myself to see how good I really was. Um, I stepped up my training. I was pushing myself harder than ever, and I had to be consistent in my effort to develop my ability and in my diet so that I could make weight, um, which I'm terrible at. Uh, I am a sucker for the sweets. Uh, unfortunately, I did get injured early on in competition training and I had to back out. But what this did teach me was the value of training at a high capacity. When we're training for something, we give it our all. We give it everything we've got and I think this applies to the Christian life very well. We see in our life that when we go through rigorous trials, we can pop out the other side stronger than ever, following Jesus stronger than ever. And I think what we'll also see is that the rigorous trials always yield great reward. So I would ask this morning that you remember this above all else. We are called to persevering faith with our fellow saints by following the lead of Jesus, the Holy One. So when we approach Hebrews, um, I always hear from different people I talk to, and I've seen it a lot online, but Hebrews is kind of like, people see it as being super mysterious, um, kind of complicated, um, theologically kind of just really out there, but I think, it's really important that we push ourselves to study something like Hebrews. Um, it is kind of tough at times, but um, I think it really is a beautiful book of the Bible, and if you're like me, you may find that um, it's a real comfort um, in our times of need. Um, it is super mysterious even to scholars. Um, scholars debate everything all the way down to just who wrote it. I read a commentary one time that spent 50 pages arguing over who wrote the book of Hebrews. And at the end of that 50 pages, it said, we don't know. So often it's attributed to Paul, but it's debated because it isn't written in the format that he usually writes in. It's not opened with the same greeting he usually does. 
And some say it wasn't even a letter at all, but rather it was a sermon that was written down. The church father Origen said of the authorship in the second century, but who wrote the epistle? In truth, only God knows. So the recipients were most likely Jews who were in Rome. Um, throughout the book of Hebrews, we see a lot of references to the Jewish legal system um, without really any qualification. He doesn't really try to explain it. He just kind of puts it out there, which can lead us to believe that the recipients already knew what he was talking about. We can also believe that those people were in Rome. Uh, he ends the book with those who are from Italy greet you. And I only wanted to share all this this morning because I think it's important to know the context of a passage before we read it. Um, a lot of times people like to take um, different passages out of context. And then what ends up happening is you misinterpret it and you miss out on a lot of the goodness um, and you can actually cause yourself confusion. So I just kind of wanted to make sure we uh, touched on that. So with that being said, let's put our eyes in the text. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're going to look at this passage this morning from three different sections. So we're going to look at it as our fellow racers. We're going to look at it as moving into the race itself. And then finally we'll conclude with the pace man, Jesus. So the illustration laid out for us right here in this passage is that of a race. Um, I have no intention of veering from that. Um, I think God gives us a great illustration here, and uh, I think that's what we'll stick with. So because we have a therefore at the start of the text, uh, it makes us inclined to go back before it. Um, according to the text, these in chapter 11, it shows that there are these great models of faith in the Old Testament. So according to the text, these great models are cheering us on like diehard fans, but not just fans who were up in the stands, but they were forerunners who are now at the finish line encouraging us not to give up. So I'm going to highlight them in a moment, but before I do, I want to point out a couple of things about them just to keep in mind. Um, these people were not perfect by any means. They are great examples of, um, of faithfulness. Um, they persevered in faith to the end, but they also were sinners just like the rest of us. Um, but what's most important about them that's highlighted in chapter 11 is that they kept the faith. So the other thing is they actively participated in God's redemptive work. Um, they didn't just sit back and spectate in the stands, but they actively sought to follow God, trusting that he was going to lead them home. The mighty men and women of old had faith in what they could not see, and God rewards those who trust in him. So in chapter 11, the author starts talking about each witness with by faith. 
If you could turn to chapter 11, verse 4. So this reminds us that these people did what God called them to do and trusted that he would take care of the rest. Sometimes these people did it with some fuss. Some of these people really would go, God would tell them to do something. God told Moses not to smack a rock more than once, and Moses smacked the rock more than once, right after he said it. So we know that these guys uh, made mistakes. These guys sinned. But, uh, yeah, if you look down at Hebrews 11.4, I'm going to just kind of roll through the highlights here. So verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We move forward to chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And then we go forward to chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, he, as in Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And you can continue um, this journey throughout church history. By faith, Ignatius of Antioch willingly was executed by way of being eaten by lions. And on the way to his execution, which he knew about, he was writing epistles or letters and encouraging his fellow Christians all the way to his gruesome death before jeering fans. By faith, Martin Luther left the comforts of going with the grain of theology that robbed Christians of the grace of Christ. He went into exile and lived a life of extreme discomfort, spreading the biblical teaching of salvation by grace through faith. By faith, missionaries went to bring the gospel to the Harani tribe in Ecuador, and many were murdered during the contact with the tribe. By faith, many of you came to Richmond to plant South City without knowing what the future held, many of you not even from Richmond. But I assure you that their efforts were not wasted and neither are yours. So many of us here have children or will have children in the future. And many of us even just have friends around us uh, who are younger in the Christian faith. And you will be part of the cloud of witnesses to these people. Not just to your children, but to everyone, to your fellow Christians and even to an onlooking world. So run your race in a way that others can follow. But in order to do this over a lifetime, you need a cheering section. You need models to look to. So don't ignore the unique character studies in the Old and New Testament. You should study them. Learn from them. Don't ignore your Old Testament. A lot of people, we just want to skip right to the good news. But the Old Testament is looking forward to the good news. So you can see it in the Old Testament, I promise. Study it regularly and learn from the mighty men and women of faith. If your life is a race then Abraham and Moses and Ruth and Esther are all in the stands going, ah, 
You can do it. Abraham yells, the Lord provided for me. He'll do the same for you. David is screaming, don't give up. Keep going. God's grace was enough to forgive my outrageous sins. And his grace is enough for you. Just keep running toward Jesus. So, really awesome timing this week. I made friends with an ultramarathon runner. And I've always really, like, looked up to ultramarathon runners because I'm just not going to run more than two miles. Um, and these guys are running, like, 200 miles. So, this guy runs 200-mile races a few times a year. And he spends about six months out of the year hiking um, thousands of miles. And he said something that really grabbed my attention. He said that for all of his races, he has a support crew that provides food and all of his needs at the various checkpoints. But one time, he opted not to have a support team. He actually had to back out of that race in the middle of it because he couldn't physically move on. He couldn't take care of himself enough to continue. And that's how important your team is for you. So we talked about our fellow racers this cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And now we're going to talk about the race itself. So what does running your race look like? So I want us to try to imagine this. I hope everyone here has played Mario Kart, because I'm going to talk about Mario Kart. Anyway, so I want us to imagine you're playing a game of Mario Kart. And I'm not talking about like on the Switch. Let me just be clear about this. I'm talking about on Nintendo 64 when it was way harder. Like on the Switch, you can't even really fall off the track most of the time, which is the most annoying part. So imagine you're going down Rainbow Road and it tosses you all over the place, throws you off the track all the time. The little cloud guy just keeps coming and grabbing you and dropping you back on the track. And you always finish in like 12th. Or I always finish in 12th. I don't know, maybe y'all are better than me. But anyway, this morning we'll see, in this race, we fall off the track over and over again, but God, our cloud guy, picks us up and puts us back on the track. So if we look back down at verse 1 and see that we move from the cloud of witnesses as our example to the beginning of imagery of a race, I think... These two being together really kind of makes a good point in and of itself. We run the race together with the saints who have gone before us. And the saints to our left and to our right. So what does this race look like? The race looks like finishing. Whether you finish in first or in twelfth, you finish the race. So this imagery in the first century Roman Empire would have been commonly understood. Um, it was a regular part of the Olympics. They didn't have ESPN back then. It was one of the only sport, sporting events you could watch. So everyone showed up. The race was the lengthiest competition in the games, which I think is fitting in the case of life. The author doesn't compare the Christian pilgrimage to a javelin toss, and I think that's for a reason. You quickly finish the javelin toss just as quickly as you started but rather he compares it to a marathon that is run where consistency and perseverance is necessary for victory. But right before that, we have this part about laying aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely. He says that right before, he talks about running the race. 
So what does laying something aside have to do with a race? Well, if you watch people running a race in the Olympics in modern times, you'll notice that the racers usually have a sweet jogger suit on. Like, if you're American, it just looks like an American flag. I think the Jamaican one looks the coolest. But anyway, uh, when it's time to run, they just rip off their sick breakaways and just get in the race. So in a similar way, competitors in the ancient Olympics would have taken off their robes and other heavy garments to get rid of the extra weight. They would have stripped their robes and laid them aside. So this moves us into another question. What heavy weight are you carrying in your life? What heavy robes are weighing you down from running your race? What sin and weight is clinging so closely that you can't run the race that is set before you? So we all have these sin struggles, these really these sometimes glaring sin struggles, sometimes not as much, and they seem to never go away, no matter how many times we get up and keep going, they just keep holding us back. I mean, when I was reading this passage, I have two major sin areas that just immediately popped up into my head. And if you don't have any sin struggles popping into your mind, I would suggest that you examine your life immediately, because there's definitely something. We tend to think that if it's not like something super heavy, that we don't have any major sin struggles. But so what if you don't have the sin struggle of gambling all your family's money away? Or you have a huge substance abuse issue? Maybe your issue is you gossip. Or maybe you're super critical of people. Maybe you yell at people in traffic in your mind. It doesn't affect them, but you're hating them. We are to lay all of the sin down. Ephesians 4.22 tells us to put off the old self. And William Lane said, Christians are to divest themselves of every association or concern that would limit their freedom for Christian confession. That points us right toward the end goal. We are to get rid of anything that limits us from confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. We have to continue confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the reason for the stripping off of everything. And this doesn't mean that we just white-knuckle all the way through quitting sinning, but rather it means that when we fall down, we get back up. Don't wallow in your sin, but be quick to repent. Let God, our little cloud guy, I shouldn't call God a little cloud guy. <laughs> Let the little cloud guy pick us up and put us back on the track. We grow in holiness through repentance because of its twofold nature. Confession and amendment. A lot of times we focus so much on confession that we forget that God is going to amend that when we confess, we then ask for God's grace and we make the efforts to amend. It's not a sign of maturity that we sin less. It's a sign of Christian maturity of what you do when you sin. How quick to repentance are you? God is after our faithfulness. God wants us to stay committed to him through the sin and suffering until 
the end. So another question I'd like to ask is, is the race easy? If we're to race to win, as 1 Corinthians tells us, the Christian life isn't a casual stroll, but a race where our legs get numb and we're tired and we can't go on anymore. I'll just say one more point before wrapping up the race of persevering faith. Scripture tells us over and over again what winning looks like. We are to keep the faith throughout our lives until the very end. We are to run toward the finish line. We're to run toward the finish line every single day until the Lord puts us at the finish line. It's the crossing it that matters. We won't even remember the run when we get there. And I can tell you uh, something, again, really interesting that my new ultra marathon hero slash friend said this week. Um, He didn't even mention finishing the race. He didn't talk about it once. He, He didn't, sorry, he didn't talk about how fast he finished. He only talked about the fact that he did finish. The only, and the highlight race was the one he didn't finish. So again, finish the race, no matter how long and daunting it may be. And so Jesus told us exactly how to run the race, and we can trust his words, but Jesus also showed us how to win the race. Which brings us to our final point, the pace man, Jesus. So Jesus was the first and only to run the race of faithfulness and righteousness in perfection. But that wasn't the end of it. The text transitions to verse 2 with this. Look back down at it. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus brought others into the race with him. If you have faith in Christ and are running the race, it is because Jesus has called out to you to run with him. So what did holiness look like in Jesus? So actually, this is the time for audience participation. If people could tell me what are things that Jesus uh, did that were acts of holiness in his life. Just shout them out. I'll wait. Giving. Giving, okay. All right. Spend time praying. What was that, Seth? Spend time praying. Spend time praying, yes. Like it. Anyone else? So, we learn how to run the race from the pace man. We engage in giving, in prayer, in fasting, in acts of mercy toward the poor and weak. So we give our time, we give our money, our resources. We help the weak and we invite others to run the race just like Jesus did. Are one of these things that I just said or anything in particular uncomfortable for you? 
to have a hard time with prayer or fasting or maybe giving of your time and resources to each other or to the homeless. Or maybe it's with sharing the gospel with a neighbor. I'll say right now, for me, it's fasting. I am not good at not eating. Uh, my sheriff at work, uh, for those that don't know, I'm a police officer. My sheriff calls me snacks because every time he comes around the corner, I'm shoving something in my face. Um, so a lot of times I set a fast and I'll like finish breakfast one morning and be like, I'm going to fast until breakfast tomorrow. And I'll pray, like, please help me to fast until breakfast tomorrow. And then at dinner time that night, when I'm supposed to be fasting, I'm shoving down 15 microwave taquitos. And then I microwave a nice brownie in a bowl, put some ice cream on top of it, and I shovel that down too. And then I go, ah, so close this time. Not enough. But the key is to not give up faith in Christ. But we work from it. We fast from the faith in Jesus. We do these things not because we want to be more morally sound, but we do them because we want to be more like Jesus. We work from the immeasurable grace of Christ. We don't work to receive it. We are fueled by the desire to be with Jesus in the kingdom, just as he was fueled by the desire to have us with him and to be in perfect obedience to his Father. And this is all part of the post-founding. We have the founding, the founder and perfecter. This is all the after Jesus has founded our faith. This is the part, this is part of the perfecting. Jesus uses these various means to perfect us. He has given us the gifts of prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and studying the Bible as means by which he perfects us and prepares us for his kingdom. And here's the kicker. He finishes the work. It doesn't say run the race and you might finish. It says look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. And some translations actually render this as the finisher, not just the perfecter. Jesus is the finisher. He completes the work he started. So those repeat sins we talked about earlier, they won't just maybe, might, could come to an end. They absolutely will come to an end. Your heavy drinking your lust, your foul mouth, your bad temper, your doubts, your gossip, your hatred, your criticism, your struggles with the sovereignty of God, they will all come to an end. Jesus will perfect you because you are his teammate in the race and he has called you. Romans 8.30 says that those he calls, he justifies. And those he justifies, he glorifies. He will bring you to a perfect end. Jesus does the work of holiness in you from start to finish. So finally, let's look at what Jesus' finish line looked like. The finale to our passage for today, if we'll look back down at the text, read verse 2. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated 
at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy set before Jesus? It was you. Just as Moses and Abraham looked forward to their rewards, Jesus looked forward to his. Jesus was to claim his people once and for all after he did one last thing. Jesus endured the shame of the cross. And I think, I think in modern times, like we very much with ease just talk about Jesus like dying on the cross. Like, oh, he died on the cross for me. And just kind of like pass on through that. So I really want to elaborate on this. Jesus knew that we were doomed to eternal separation for him, from him if the shame of our sin was not put to death. So Jesus allowed himself to get captured. And then we usually see the crucifixion images with like, Jesus wearing a garment. Um, and even, uh, I don't know why, it says in the passage his garments were stripped. So, and historically we know that crucifixions usually happen naked. They wanted these people to be absolutely humiliated. So Jesus was stripped naked with everyone watching. Jesus had nails that were like modern railroad spikes struck through his hands, strike by strike. And then Jesus hung from the tree, drowning in the blood, filling his lungs until he died. And he bore this shame for you. Jesus carried out perfect obedience to his Father for the people that would one day fill his kingdom. Jesus finished the race. Jesus hated the cross but loved you, the reward. He endured the cross to receive you as his reward. And now he is seated on the throne, perfecting you until the day of your eternal and perfect union where we will cry out together, Holy is the Lamb who was slain. William Lane said of Jesus' kingship, the session at the right hand is the guarantee of the absoluteness of Christ's exaltation and the utter security of those who have placed their hope in him. So, today we talked about our fellow racers, the race of holiness, and the pace man Jesus. So I'll summarize uh, the application for us. I want to make sure I bring this to an applicable close here. So again, back at the cloud of witnesses, we are to know our Old Testament. We are to learn from the saints of old. I would even encourage, um, I think in the evangelical world, we kind of ignore um, early Christians and we ignore like a lot of the Christians throughout history. I would recommend um, reading some of those. If you need some ideas, come to me. I'm a big fan of um, reading some of the older works. Um, examine yourself. Sorry, point two. Examine yourself. Know your repeat sins and repent of them. Make sure that we are confessing. Remember, repent is twofold. We need to confess and we need to ask for the grace of amendment and make efforts towards that end. And then finally, we walk in the ways of Jesus. We pray, we fast, know the word, give to the poor, challenge yourself to carry out the difficult practices that develop holiness. 
despise the sinful desires of this life for the joy of eternity with Jesus. And do it all from faith. Don't do it for the sake of doing it. Do it because of your love for Christ. So most importantly, finish your race. The joy set before you is eternity in paradise with our Lord Jesus. You will spend eternity with the one who died for you when you were his enemy so that he would make you his friend. So keep going. Don't give up. Hear the saints of old cheering you on. Hear the Lord cheering you on. Hear your brothers and sisters in this room cheering you on and keep going because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your spirit has filled us and that we can come to your word with reverence and with a seeking heart. Lord, thank you for the race that you have set before us. Lord, thank you for being the founder and perfecter that you don't just leave us, that you don't just renew us and then leave us to figure it out, but Lord, you keep working in us. And Jesus, finally, thank you for running the race. Thank you for being the great high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. Lord, I pray that you would help us to go forward, moving from faith, not towards it, not waiting Lord, but moving towards you closer and closer every day. And Lord, help us to have humble and contrite hearts. I pray that we would love you more. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.